My good people, greetings. How are we? How are we feeling? Did you enjoy your Easter weekend? I'm sure it was filled with fun, food, family, and most of all sports, as we have a lot to dive into on this week's edition of the J Reels Podcast. I am your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in. Thank you for downloading and listening to this content as I discuss everything that's happening in the sports landscape, so welcome aboard. And for those who have been with me on this journey from episode 1 to now episode 66, I know I've been screwing this up over the last couple of weeks, saying episode 64 when it's really 65, and 63 when it's 64. I've been a mess with that. My apologies. I went back to the record books, and I looked. This is 66. So if you're Mario Lemieux or any other 66, uh, Yasiel Puig, here we are. So enjoy, sit back as you listen to what it is that I have to say here on a Monday, April the 22nd in the year of our Lord 2019. If I sound a little nasally to you, yes, I'm uh, overcoming a cold, which was really bad in the middle of last week into the weekend. So please forgive me ahead of time as I'm probably going to cough a little bit, maybe sneeze. But nevertheless, I'll deliver everything that's happening, whether it's what's in the NHL as we have two Game 7s that are lined up between San Jose and Vegas, as well as Toronto and Boston. The Islanders have swept their first-round series against the Penguins. They have their feet up waiting for the winner, the Capitals and Hurricanes, which they'll revisit a Game 6 tonight, where the Capitals could go in for the game-clinching series. And I'm sure we'll start Wednesday night if that's the case. If not, the Islanders may not start till Friday, if you could believe that. So all the NHL stuff we'll get into. The baseball, where the Mets are limping home from a 4-6 and six road trip. And believe it or not, the one big problem that they have is their pitching. We'll delve into all that. The Yankees finished a 6-3 and three homestand. They go on the West Coast with another one of their key players out in Aaron Judge. We'll have all the baseball, everything that's happening, as well as the NFL is concerned. That's right, it is draft week. Let all the mock drafts just flood your inboxes and your timelines, whatever it may be. I'm not going to give you a mock draft, but we'll delve into what maybe the Jets and Giants will do as they're prominent front and center at the top of this draft. And also the schedules come out. We'll get into that a little bit with the national schedule on some of those games, as well as the locals and the Pittsburgh Steelers, of course. You know, I got to throw that in the mix. But we're going to kick off this program discussing the association. And now that we're pretty much on to round two, let's face it, this first round has been a bore. It's been an abomination, and it's pretty much been what expected. Because as I said in the NBA preview 10 days ago, I came out and said, if there's going to be any shock, if there's going to be any upset, if I had to put my money on it, the closest one was going to be Denver-San Antonio. And right now, they're deadlocked in a 2-2 series where all the other series are either done or just about done. And we'll start off with the one that's happening here in our backyard in the Brooklyn Nets because I have a lot to say, not necessarily about them, but more so about the Sixers and their main man, Joel Embiid. But here we are. Game five is going to be tomorrow night in Philadelphia where the Sixers, for all intents and purposes, will probably wrap up the series. Brooklyn has fought hard. They've played well. Unfortunately, they've had some two of their key players not play well in stretches of these of this series, and therefore it's shown, whether it be Joe Harris, who's just shot the ball awful from three. He was a guy that everybody thought could be a key player other than D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie. He certainly has not played well since game one. Russell has had his moments. Dinwiddie has played well. LeVert has been by far probably the best player on the Nets in this postseason. But for whatever the reason, he certainly hasn't been the guy that I understand he's not going to carry the mail. He's not going to 
be the guy that's the focal point of the offense, but still, for whatever the reason, Kenny Atkinson, who hasn't had a great series coaching, you figure the ball should go through him, through its hottest player, despite the fact that this is D'Angelo Russell's team. And the Nets, after that blitzkrieg in Game 2, we were on the air last week talking about Game 1, how, hey, they could certainly do some damage in the series, maybe extend this series to a seventh game if possible. And as we all know, when you're a heavy underdog in any sport, it doesn't matter. The key games in the series are the odd number games. And as you saw in game one, just like you saw with Orlando winning game one, not only did they wrestle home court at that time, but whenever you win those games, especially if you're that team that's certainly not favored and a team that certainly probably has a very slim chance of winning, those odd number games are key because think about it. If they... Nets would have went ahead and won game three. Then all they need to do is, yes, for all intents and purposes, they would have the home court, and if they were to win game four, they would have to not worry about a possible game seven or having to win another game on the road. But as we all know, when teams that are certainly under the gun and know that they chances are they're going to need to win two games on enemy territory or in enemy territory on the opposing team's court, winning a game one, just like winning a game five on the road, or just as critical. And sadly, they weren't able to pull off the game three at home. And like I said, game two, it was a one-point game at halftime, and then there were Blitzkrieg in the second half to a 21-1 run where finally Kenny Atkinson called a timeout. You would think that once they started to get that train rolling, especially with Ben Simmons, who's just been a monster, especially in games two and three, in which I said, even again, in the preview, that if Ben Simmons were to have these type of games where he's going to have anything of semblance of an offense, whether he's going to score 13 to 17 points but have 15 to 17 boards and more than 10 assists, he was going to wreak havoc and have his fingerprints all over the series. And granted, he did so in a game three with 31 and nine, to the point where, and we'll get to the whole Jared Dudley nonsense, but but going back to game two, it was a situation where Atkinson didn't call timeout, he let the game get out of hand, and before you know it, it was pretty much over, coming back up the pike to Brooklyn. Then you had all the talk about Jared Dudley, Ben Simmons, and Dudley was right by saying that Simmons was average when he's in the half-court game. If he's in open court, he's as deadly as anybody. Is he the brute force that LeBron James is in open court? No. Or Russell Westbrook, not at all. But Simmons, we all know that if he's his game is going to be in transition, he's going to have an impact on it. And Game 3 had a lot of buzz, a lot of hype coming into that, especially with the signs outside of the Barclays Center, the missing persons, Ben Simmons, with the reward, his $26, contra- $26 million excuse me, contract that he has, his rookie contract, which is going to expire soon. And you had a lot of fun with that. But the Nets certainly weren't able to come through in a Game 3 where you had the elbow with Jared Dudley and, excuse me, with Jared Allen and Joel Embiid. Now, Embiid didn't even play in the Game 3. I take that back. So the elbow was Game 2. But with Game 3 and Embiid out, and this was a chance for the Nets to win, they certainly weren't able to rally the troops and pull out with a victory. Now, as far as Game 4 is concerned, now Embiid is back in the mix. And a lot of the talk after the Game Two was Embiid joking around, 
apologizing for the elbow to Jared Allen and then making these, let's face it, these silly comments to the point where he starts laughing about it with Ben Simmons and, oh, well, that's just Joel Embiid. He's just a clown. He's trying to be a comedian. And the one thing about Embiid, can't knock his talent when he's healthy. Who knows if he's in shape because that's another thing too. He's, he's All of a sudden, he's winded in these games. He didn't participate in game three because of a knee issue. So he comes back in game four, and he has a monster game, 37-15. But when he makes these comments, and he comes out and he says certain things, and then, of course, he had the foul on Allen there, which was a rough foul, but it was a flagrant run, a flagrant one. He didn't need to be ejected there. You know, a lot of people think, oh, he should have been ejected. NBA's gone soft, and then you had Dudley come in there. And Jimmy Butler comes to the rescue. Now, Dudley had to do that. I mean, he's a guy that obviously he's talked a bit in this series. We understand he's just a bit player, so nobody's going to take him seriously as far as being one of the top guys on the Nets. But for Dudley to stick up for his player, which he was right in doing so, and then Butler coming in there and both getting ejected in the game, which maybe was a little bit too strong, but I understand that the referees are trying to make a statement there to say not only just for the game, but for the series not to get out of hand what these two teams are concerned. And here's the problem I have going back to Embiid. So here he is, he fouls Allen. The melee ensues. So now he walks away with his arms up in the air, and then he walks back to the scrum with his arms up. What type of statement was that? I have no clue. And then in the post game, he comes out and he says, oh, we're up 3-1. Hopefully we won't do what we what the Warriors did back in 2016. And then he starts laughing like a little kid at the podium. The one thing that I would fear if you're a Sixer fan, now nobody can knock his talent. We understand that he is a double-double in his sleep. He can be a dominant player. A lot of it has to do with his coaching too. They need to get him away from the perimeter, which for all intents and purposes, he's much more effective down low despite the fact that the NBA is not that type of game anymore. We get that. But as you saw what he did the other day at 37 and 15, there's no way that You cannot keep him on the perimeter. You have to play him down low. That's where he's most dominant. But for him to come out and make these comments and for him to get in these war words and even going back, whether he's trying to get into Andre Drummond's head or didn't he learn from the conference semifinals last year against Boston? You would think he would mature a little bit as a player. And I understand he wants to be more of a personality. He's in the, the commercials and these comments back and forth with certain players on Twitter as he had over the last couple of years. But enough. Don't you think it's time for him to just stick to ball, to him being so focused and locked in to get his team not only to the next round but deep into this postseason, especially after the embarrassment last year? And I picked them to beat the Celtics in that second round. And here he is. And I have to go back to it. I understand it's last year and people are going to say, well, Jerry Reels, come on. That was last year. But guess what? This same behavior is continuing with Embiid. When they were down 0-3 to the Celtics, and here he is chirping in Marcus Morris' ear, and Marcus Morris, all he's doing is putting up three fingers as if to say, yeah, we're up three games, so you can talk all you want, and yeah, you're going to end up winning a game four, which they eventually did, but keep chiming, my guy. And then after game five, when they lost in Boston, and he just walked off the court, no sportsmanship whatsoever, walked away into the postseason like a baby, and oh yeah, now that... The front running is gone that, hey, now that we, you know, we're not winning, that we're losing, that now you're just going to 
take your tail between your legs and walk up to the court and off into the sunset and as if nothing happened. And then now you're in a situation where I understand it's a net team where, let's face it, they're green. This is their first time here. Are they happy to be here? Yes, but they have competed. Sands second half of game two. And then all of a sudden now you want to be this tough guy or this fake tough guy that you're going to puff out your chest and you know make silly comments and shallow apologies. I mean, please, nobody wants to hear that. And I tell you, if he was on my team, I'd have a problem with that because in round one against an opponent like the Nets that you're supposed to beat, all right, let's see the same energy you're going to have in the second round against the Toronto team that chances are they're up 3-1, they're going to win a Toronto team that they're going to be ready for you. And let's say if you advance there to play either Boston or Milwaukee, you better get your head on straight. As I said, talented, no doubt. I mean, please, he could be a top five player in this league if he isn't one already. But at the same time, for him to just just be stupid with his comments, silly with his apology nobody needs that that's unnecessary and I understand part of that's the coach coach is Peter. hey listen Joel can you just chime down with that I understand you have this personality you want to be this famous guy and the commercials and the whole nine but still and Embiid I can't take him seriously off the court and I even tweeted this the other day I said he's like Dwight Howard 2.0 about to be and for those who want to laugh at that oh uh-huh, yeah Jay really what are you nuts are you going to compare this guy to Dwight Howard well, Dwight Howard early in his career, this guy was a dominant player. And then he wants to, you know, smile to the crowd and he wants to be this, you know, Superman. And then we all know what happened from there. Do I even need to chronicle the rest of Dwight Howard's career, which he should have been in the Hall of Fame? A lock. And now his only ticket will probably be if he pays for one. So, Embiid, for this series, okay, he, he could yuck it up all he wants. He could act like a clown, whatever. But as this postseason gets deeper and deeper, and especially if the games get tougher and they're down 2-1 in the series, yeah, let's see that same energy. Let's see if he's going to come out with stupid chuckles and laughs and comments that really are just borderline ridiculous. So that's my Joel Embiid rant for what that's worth. But still, I, I just don't like to see that. I mean, let's face it, he's done nothing in both of these postseasons for him to just even think that he could just make these comments and get away with it. I don't like it. So, now as far as the Nets are concerned, they have a game five tomorrow, and they lost a a game that they actually had to have there, game four, and they were leading late, but they weren't able to make a shot, and now they're looking at a game five where chances are Philly's going to be revved up, ready to go, do they have a chance to win this game? Of course they do. I mean, they've been in these games. You know, it's not as if they've been blown out other than, like I mentioned, game two, second half. But you would think Philly's going to prevail here, which is the theme throughout the whole postseason other than Denver and San Antonio because these games have just been an absolute... They've been competitive. They've been tough. But when you're looking at these series margins, I mean, how could, the NBA cannot like this. And as I said, this is a top-heavy... Both of these brackets, they're top heavy. You know, you can't see any one of these teams. You figure the top four were going to make it out alive. And in this case, with Denver and San Antonio, remains to be seen because San Antonio is the only team that could pull off the upset. But is it really an upset considering you have the young whippersnappers in Denver going up against the 
veteran savvy, and Greg Popovich coached San Antonio Spurs. So now, here we are as we're just about a round in. And as we go through it, Celtics, I understand that this was a hard-fought series. It's probably hard-fought of a 4-0 series you could possibly get. And granted, they shouldn't have won game two. The Pacers couldn't hit a shot to save their lives in that fourth quarter. And then you had a perfect Jalen Brown in game three. Well, borderline perfect. He missed one shot, but he was phenomenal in game three. And then yesterday, again, it was just grit, determination, knowing that they had to ice this series and get some extra rest because they know what's looming ahead in the Bucks. And to me, that was just gutty-gritty Celtics being able to eke out win after win after win and now could rest up for a couple days before they are in all likelihood are going to face the Milwaukee Bucks who are up 3-0 against Detroit. And obviously we don't need to get into that series. But it's going to be fascinating to get Celtics-Bucks. It's a rematch of the first round last year, but certainly with the cast of characters pretty much intact, similar to last year. I understand you didn't have Kyrie and Gordon Hayward in the first round last year, but the coach is the difference in Milwaukee with you have Budenholzer. And I'm not going to make any predictions just yet. We'll be back on the end on uh, next Monday, a week from today, and we'll certainly get into game one, which will probably be played either Saturday or Sunday, depending on how the other series shake out. But you would think that they're going to start a little bit early because unless Denver-San Antonio goes to seven, there's no way they're going to try to drag out empty days or dark days on the NBA schedule just for the sake of it. And it's just sad. It's just sad to see that this, these series are not going six or seven games. You're going to have one series that's going to go six games out of the eight. And that's as bad as it gets. So we'll talk more Celtics-Bucks next week, uh, which it should be a good series. You also have, like I mentioned about Detroit, Milwaukee. Uh, th- that series could be over. I believe game four is tonight, as well as Houston and Utah. They'll have a game four tonight in Utah. And then it's going to set up a fascinating Houston-Golden State rematch in a conference semifinals, which I know the NBA doesn't like. But hey, that's just how the cookie crumbled this year in the West. And then Golden State beating the Clippers yesterday. Uh, Give them some credit. I have said all along, if you listen to the podcast going back months, how Golden State could be picked off. And they could be picked off in that next round because Houston is playing hot and I've never been a Rocket fan, as you well know. But when you have games like they had in Game 2 where they had a 31-point lead in the third quarter and ended up losing that game, did I ever think that they were in danger of losing the series? No. But this Warrior team, for whatever the reason, especially at home, they play poorly. They lost to Dallas at home by 30-something. They lost to the Celtics by 32. They've had some just terrible home losses. Toronto beat them by 20-something early in the season. So Golden State... I understand they have the firepower and the talent to erase a lot of those terrible performances. And all it took for Klay Thompson, who averaged 13 points in the first three games, was to jump into the Pacific Ocean. And you saw what he did yesterday in the 330 game ABC. 32 points. I know a lot of those were in the first half. But he felt that jumping in the ocean was a reawakening for him. 
And now they're one game away from winning, and I believe they'll play on Wednesday. So these series, they can't end fast enough, but at the same time, what you're also looking at here is a situation where you just don't want to have any dark days on the schedule, knowing that both Houston and Milwaukee can wrap up this series tonight. Philadelphia can wrap up this series on Tuesday. I believe Portland then will play tomorrow night, which will be Tuesday, if I'm not mistaken, off the top of my head. And they have a 3-1 series lead, which that was a feisty game three with Lillard and Westbrook going at each other back-to-back. Trash talked the whole nine, and then Westbrook made a statement. I'm sorry, uh, Lillard made a statement last night with what he did, and Westbrook was just invisible. What was he, 5-21 for 21 from the field? Just a terrible game for Westbrook and a, just an enormous game for them. So OKC's on the brink. And that's what you have in this first round. It's just one series after the other. You're just getting ready for one versus four and two versus three in both the East and the West. And as far as Golden State is concerned, like I mentioned before, can they be picked off? I think they can in the next round. And then not having Cousins, I don't know how big of a factor that's going to be. Because Cousins, although has has had his moments, I'm not trying to say that he's been terrible or awful, but you kind of wonder, would him being out of the lineup actually be more of a benefit for Golden State or a hindrance? I actually think it benefits them. And people are going to say, well, Reels, what are you talking about? How could Cousins not be in the lineup? And that's a positive. Well, it goes back to what you saw last year with this team. Now, they didn't have him for the first half of the year. And obviously, Cousins had played pretty much since January. But now, you're pretty much going back to a short rotation with the usual suspects that they've had dating back to last year. Cousins is one less guy you have to worry about as far as getting minutes is concerned. Which, Grant, I understand he's going to get his minutes. But my point being is that your focal point on this team is Curry, Durant, and Thompson. I understand Green's part of that mix, but he's not going to be the the big-time scorer. Because if you look at yesterday's game, obviously Durant had his points, Thompson had his big game, and Curry did nothing in the game. So whatever Cousins was going to add, certainly going to help. But even if he didn't add much, it's certainly not going to hurt them. So with Golden State, we'll talk about that more next week as that matchup is looming on the horizon, which will be a rematch of the conference final last year. And that's the one thing that the NBA is not going to like here. They have the potential of losing Milwaukee, Boston, Houston, or Golden State in the second round. Which I'm sure the NBA, Philly, Toronto, they're going to be praying for Philly in that conference final. No offense to Toronto, but that's just how it's going to shake down. And then on the other side of the bracket, you would figure a hot Portland maybe. Because there is no way that Houston, Golden State, the two powerhouses, one of those guys is going to be gone in the next round. That's going to it's going to be a tough watch. And then when you're looking also at Denver, San Antonio, and I get that, hey, whoever comes out of that to go up against Portland should be interesting, should be fun. But uh, listen, when you get one of those four teams out, and I understand Milwaukee's a newcomer here to the mix. But just losing, like I said, Boston, Golden State, or Houston, the potential of one of those three teams, or two of those three teams, I should say, out 
That's tough. But uh, the the beat goes on in the NBA, and that's what we got. Pretty much uh, be able to move on to other things because obviously we got a ton of other stuff to discuss. Uh, let's see. Yeah, I pretty much got everything in with the NBA's concern. Uh, we'll stick with the playoffs. We'll go to the NHL, which is a little bit more exciting. As I mentioned, you have two Game 7s that are going to take place. San Jose and Vegas. San Jose wins a double overtime game yesterday, which saved their season. And obviously going back to San Jose to play a Game 7. You had, uh, who was the guy who scored the goal yesterday? Oh, yeah, Thomas Hurdle, which is a guy who even predicted that they were going to go back to the HP Pavilion to play a Game 7. So he did a little Mark Messier circa 1994 in guaranteeing a victory. So let's see if they can pull out the series victory in a Game 7 tomorrow. And then you have Toronto and Boston, which brings me back to that crazy series. I think it was 2012... Maybe it was 2012 where Toronto and Boston, if you remember, Toronto had a 4-1 lead with 11 minutes to go in the third period, and then Boston scored four goals over the final 11 minutes to win 5-4 in just startling fashion. So you may have, not, I'm not going to say repeat performance of that, but you're going to have a lot of, I'm sure the video scoreboard and um, the telecast is going to bring that up throughout the course of the night. So we'll see who comes out alive from that series. You have the Islanders sweeping the Penguins. I mean, what more could be said? Robin Leonard was your number one star. Jordan Eberle, four goals, and he answered, responded in big ways when the Penguins had taken leads. The one thing I do worry about, whether Washington wins tonight and they start the series Wednesday, or if they win on Wednesday, or Carolina, of course, they may start Friday. Now, the Islanders are going to be eight days off or ten days off. The old question does a long layoff hurt or help when it comes to the postseason? Now, I understand the Islanders are going to have their injuries. Johnny Boychuk's going to be out three to four weeks with a lower body injury, so that certainly helps them having this week off because it's an extra week that they're going to have. But for some reason, I, I just don't like it. I could see if it's a banged-up team and you want to get healthy. I get that. But it's just round one. I could see if it was a conference final or even a Stanley Cup final where you had that extra layoff. And even a a Stanley Cup final hurts because sometimes when you had that extra layoff, when you have that extra time, you're just chomping at the bit to get to game speed. Sometimes it takes a while to get into the rhythm of a game or even of a series for that matter. So even though, let's say if it goes seven games, and I'm sure the Islander fan is looking at it, hey, let them play seven, let Carolina come out, be careful what you wish for. To me, I think I'd rather play the Capitals only because the coach, Barry Trotz, going up against his former team. You got some juicy storylines there. But I, I would prefer to play the Caps because I don't want to dethrone the defending Stanley Cup champions. That's just me personally. But still, I, I'd always worry about that. I don't care if you're a veteran team, a young team. When you have a long layoff like that, it can help, but it could certainly hurt. And just keep that in mind moving forward because if we come back on the air next week and the Islanders are down 0-2, you can understand why. Hopefully that's not the case, but we'll see. But the Islanders certainly have been fast and furious. I've been very impressed with what I've seen from what I've seen so far. And you can only hope it will continue to keep up and that this long layoff is not going to hurt that momentum that they've had by sweeping the Penguins out of the postseason. And speaking of which, the Tampa Bay Lightning. I don't even know what to say. That is just an utter embarrassment considering that 
you had 128 points in the regular season, 62 wins, which tied the Red Wings in 95-96. And the only thing you have to show for it is that. You don't even have a playoff victory, which that's the first time it's happened in NHL history that a one seed had not won a postseason game in a playoff series. And then on top of that, you had Calgary losing to Colorado. So for the first time in NHL history, you had both one seeds knocked out in the first round of an NHL playoff. And that's the unpredictability. You will never see that in the NBA. Never. And granted, it's only happened once in the history of the NBA, and that was the uh, 99 Knicks when they beat the Heat, if you recall, in the strike-shortened season, when they beat them in five, the Allen Houston, uh, what is that, not the fadeaway, but the uh, the teardrop where it seemed like it rattled through the rim 15 times and off the backboard, 78-77, I believe, was the final. Now, the reason why that happened is because the Heat and the Knicks had that rivalry, and they knew each other very well. So to me, that was, and remember, it was five games. It wasn't best of seven back then. So that's another thing. Anytime you get those short series, you'll get those upsets. Seattle, Denver, back in 94, if you remember. It was the first time it ever happened. With Matumbo laying on the court, holding the ball in the, in the air. Now, as far as this NHL postseason, even with both number ones out, you're still going to get compelling hockey because that's just how the way the sport is built. And when you're looking through the rest of these series, obviously we're waiting on Washington, Carolina, which they'll revisit tonight. You're also looking at the Game 7s that I mentioned. St. Louis, who had a 2-0 lead, and then they actually gave it back, but Prevail and won their series over Winnipeg. Dallas has a 3-2 series lead over Nashville, as I believe they'll also play tonight. I believe they're the 8-30 game after the 7 o'clock game with Caps and Cranes. And let's see if I'm missing another series. No, and that pretty much will will do it there as far as the NHL is concerned. And whenever you get two game sevens and you could potentially get a third with uh, Dallas and Nashville, you're off to a rocking start. In the NBA, you're not even going to get anything close. Could Denver-San Antonio go seven games? It could. Do I think it will? I don't think it will. Uh, it's going to go six. Either way. Let's see. One thing I didn't mention last week was uh, Joel Quenville hired in Florida as a coach, which the season ended and five minutes later they hired him, which was a great hire. Remember, he won three cups with the Blackhawks here in this decade, and Florida certainly needs a jolt as of some sort. So Quenville now is going to be your coach for the Florida Panthers moving forward. And, uh, yeah, and as far as the Tampa, I mean, what could you say? That was just, just an embarrassment. Now Columbus, of course, they're waiting on the winner of Toronto and Boston. So we'll see who they get to match up with here in the days to come. Oh, also, one last thing before I move on to the football. I know the saying you had that fight last week with Alexander Ovechkin with the 19-year-old kid, Zvechnikov, uh, I guess his name is. And I understand that he's in concussion protocol. I don't even think he's going to play this series. I don't even know he's going to play tonight, for that matter. And I know there was an outroar. Oh, look at this kid. Uh, you see Ovi do this. He could probably, Listen, if that was the other way around, if that was, and I understand this isn't circa 1987, but if Carolina had a tough guy, you mean to tell me that he wouldn't have gone after Ovechkin a couple times? Now, would Ovechkin drop the gloves? Probably not. Because anytime you're going to get a enforcer go up against the star player, 
there's no way that he's going to sit in the penalty box for five minutes when you're going to have their resident tough guy and then you're going to lose Ovechkin. And this was a guy then Svechnikov who admired Ovechkin as a player growing up. Of course, they're both from Russia. Was it sad to see? Hey, you know, he lost the fight. And yeah, knocked him out. But does this mean, oh, let's ban fighting? Does this mean, oh, this was a disgrace? No, because that could happen to anybody. And let's face it, give it up to Zvetsikov for fighting him because he easily could have turtled, he easily could have backed down. And, of course, Ovechkin took him up on it, so, hey, he was going to do what he's going to do. That's just how it is. If I hear anything that he, let's say Carolina moves on and they don't, he doesn't get to play the rest of the postseason and then the committee's going to get together and talk about, oh, well, maybe we should add some more stringent rules and penalties when it comes to fighting, then I don't know what else to say. Then... Who else? I'm not going to watch this sport, and I got a ton of other people behind me that are my age. I understand I'm going to sound like the guy get off my lawn, crusty old guy, but still, as I said time and time again, this sport has evolved to Disney on ice. And I understand that people are going to say, "Well, Jay Reels, the, the point of these games is scoring goals and winning." And Stanley, I off. I'm not going to be stupid to say off. No, or yeah, I don't get that. But let's face it. Intimidation, physicality was part of the game then, and sadly, it's not a part of the game now. And yes, you've seen hits here and there, I understand that, great, but not to the point or to the extent where it's boiling over, where you're sending a message, when you're telling other teams that, hey, obviously they didn't have an answer to Ovechkin knocking this kid out, so it's not as if they could get somebody on the ice to police and say, all right, that's not, that's the last time it's going to happen. Or let's just say for argument's sake, he baited Ovechkin into a fight. And even though Ovechkin turtled or skated away, but if he just got his pound of flesh, he's like, yeah, try that one more time. Oh, but it's going to result in a power play. It's going to result in a goal. Well, guess what? It may result in a power play. It may result in a goal. It may not result in a goal. But the bottom line is that that's not going to happen again on this guy's watch, whoever's going to be policing Carolina. But of course, the game's not like that anymore. So you you have what you're going to have. Sad but true. Now, that's enough of that because I could talk about that forever. So the NHL is going to be fascinating. And like I said, I worry about the Islanders a little bit with this long layoff. So we'll certainly uh, see how that uh, shakes down once the conference semifinals begin. All right, NFL heads. I know that you're waiting for this week. And just in three days down in Nashville, Tennessee, you're going to have the 2019 NFL Draft. The Jets, as we know, have the number three pick. The Giants have the number six pick. I'm going to say this. If you're both teams, and I get that Gettleman, I don't like his comments. I mean, Gettleman, you know, he's, I understand he's an old school guy. He's a Boston guy, Northeast, tough as nails, get all that. And he's fought some health issues, and he's bounced back, and good for him. Glad to hear but when you have to hear him come out and say, oh, well, we draft based on best player available. We don't draft for need. Right. Do they need a quarterback for 2019? No, because they have one in Eli Manning. We get that. But guess what? After this year, that's going to be it. Eli's not going to get an extension. He has not getting his contract restructured. And unless Eli somehow, some way, is going to pull out a 4,800-yard 
35 touchdown, 15 interception type season, wins a division, and goes into the postseason as a one or two seed, he's not coming back. So guess what? You're going to have to find your quarterback sometime very soon. And if your number six pick, I don't care if there's a pass rusher there or a quarterback, and they need both. But guess what? Pass rushers wreck the game, and we understand that. But quarterbacks are the ones that are going to take you to the big game. So if Dwayne Haskins is there, sitting at six, they have to take him. No ifs, ands, buts about it. And he could talk about, oh, we don't love these quarterbacks, or they're good, but they're not game changers. They're not franchise, top-of-the-line slam dunks. Well, guess what? I'm sure we could say that for a ton of other quarterbacks that have certainly panned out in their careers. And I get that not every guy that's going to be drafted high, or especially at six, and especially in New York, I remember at six where Mark Sanchez was taken. But at least the guy won four playoff games while he was here, all on the road. And not to say that I'm a Mark Sanchez apologist, but you, you get where I'm going with this. You have to draft a quarterback. And Gettleman can say all he wants, and I will say this, I don't know... What the Giant fan feels like right now, I don't know if they want Haskins. I don't know if they want to get a pass rusher or an offensive lineman. I I, I haven't taken the pulse of that yet because I'm not really in NFL mode, but I'll certainly take that this week and maybe I'll post it on my Twitter and Instagram, more so Twitter than anything. So if you're a Giant fan right now, what do you want? Do you want the quarterback or do you want the defensive player? Or do you want an offensive lineman? Now they... Gave Sterling Shepard four years of $41 million, so obviously he's going to be your number one guy. And then you have a situation where they could trade up, quite possibly depending on how the top of the draft goes. We don't know what's going to happen with the Cardinals. Obviously the Cliff Kingsbury, the new coach, and the Kyler Murray, they have that bond. So does that mean Josh Rosen is going to be on the block? All that remains to be seen. And we haven't even talked about the Jets, who have the th- number three pick, and you would think that they're going to go defense here. Now, who knows if somebody gives them a sweetheart offer where they could still draft a Nick Bosa or Quentin Williams or Josh Allen, I'm sure they're going to do that. But if they know that they can't get that sweetheart deal from whether it be the Giants, dare I say, or anybody else for that matter, where they're not going to drop back that far, then you would think they're going to draft one of those three guys. I understand Quentin Williams is a guy who's more interior but could certainly wreck a game. You want the sexier pass rusher, Josh Allen, Nick Bosa type if they're both going to be there and who knows, that remains to be seen. But you figure they're going to have two two of those three guys are going to be on the board at three. It's just a matter of which one they're going to pick. Because the second pick overall which you figure Oakland is going to take a pass rusher. I mean, they'd be silly not to, considering they lost the best one in the sport last year. Well, they traded. They didn't, they didn't lose them. They actually traded away John Gruden. So you have that to deal with. And the other thing is, too, is that when you look at the Jets from this perspective, considering the free agent moves that they made, I wonder if they would go, let's say if Bosa's off the board, the Raiders pick him. And then now you have the interior lineman, or you want the pass rusher? If you ask me, you'd have to go for the edge rusher. No, no offense to Quentin Williams. I'm sure he's going to be a beast. 
a lot of people think is he's got a lot of Warren Sapp in him. I'm talking about on the field. So that's great, but Josh Allen may be the guy. I understand he went to Kentucky, not a big school. We understand it's SEC, but at the same time, there's going to be some doubts. So how I look at it is, is that the edge rusher is the one that's certainly going to be not only just the sexiest, but is going to be the more dominant as far as making those game-wrecking type plays. Do the Jets go that route? We'll see. It's going to be interesting to see how this uh, top part of the draft, just like it did last year. And you have the whole Saquon Barkley, Sam Donald debate that you're going to have, not necessarily now, but down the road. So everybody's going to be pumped up for that. The schedules came out, and the the first thing I look at when I think of the schedules, of course you think of your teams, and rightfully so, but the one thing I look at besides the primetime games, I look at the Thanksgiving games, and the Thanksgiving games this year are a snooze. I understand Chicago-Detroit, it's a division game. You never know what you're going to get out of those division games because they're always going to be competitive. You have the 4 o'clock game is Buffalo at Dallas. That, who knows? You're probably going to be already in a food coma at that point. And then the night game is Saints at Falcons, which, eh, that could be a good game. But with the Falcons, you just don't know which team you're going to get. As a matter of fact, that's the Thanksgiving game you got last year, Falcons at Saints. So now they just flipped it, which I don't know why. They probably they could have put the Falcons there, but they could have put another team there. So... I don't know why NBC is going with that same game, but just in a different venue this time around. But yeah, not the greatest of games. Of course, the one thing that sticks out at you is the four primetime games of the Cleveland Browns, and understandably so, but three of them are in the first five weeks of the season. The Monday night against the Jets, then a Sunday night home against the LA Rams, and then two weeks after that at San Francisco. So all right, you look at the Jet game, it's week two, could be an interesting game. A Cleveland home game on a Sunday night, That's oh, they're going to be revved up for that one. And then, of course, you have the San Francisco game out in the Bay Area. And then later on in the year, they have a, another primetime game, which is a Thursday night at home against the Pittsburgh Steelers. And they actually play two and three weeks from that point because November 14th, Thursday night, and then December 1st at Pittsburgh. Uh, quickly with the Jets and Giants schedules. Jets have the first two games at home, and it's Buffalo and Cleveland. So if they want to get off to a good start, they better because they go to New England and then at Philly after that. Dallas and then New England following those two games. At Jacksonville, at Miami, the Giants, at Washington, Oakland, Cincinnati, Miami, Baltimore, Pittsburgh, Buffalo. They have a schedule that... Now, if you're a Jet fan, you're looking for 10 wins this year. Can you get 10 wins out of the schedule? It's possible. Because you have that underbelly where you have at Miami, the Giants, that's going to be a tough game. And that's a home game for the Jets. At Washington, Oakland, at Cincinnati, Miami. Then you have Baltimore-Pittsburgh back-to-back. The game is in Baltimore, which is a Thursday night game, and then Buffalo. So if they start off 2-0, split New England-Philadelphia somehow, someway, 3-1, Dallas, New England again, a, a, a tricky start to their season after those first two games. So pretty much like two through seven, and then it has a soft underbelly. So if you're looking for 10 wins there, you, I'm sure you can find them somewhere, some somehow, some way. The Giants, on the other hand, at Dallas, 
home to Buffalo. So look at that. Buffalo comes to the Meadowlands the first two weeks of the season. Interesting. So before Buffalo even has a home game, both of their first two games are on the road at MetLife. And for all intents and purposes, think about this. Their first three games of the season all take place in the tri-state area because you can't say they're in New York as in New Jersey. So the Bills, although they, they do technically leave the state, but they don't leave the area their first three weeks of the season. And for, for all intents and purposes, they probably have home games weeks three and four. So pretty much the first month of the season, they're in their backyard. Then at Tampa, Washington, Minnesota, at New England. That's a Thursday night game, Giants, by the way. Arizona, at Detroit, Dallas, at the Jets, at Chicago, Green Bay, Philly, Miami, Washington, Philly. I mean, this Giants schedule isn't really that tricky either. They're playing the NFC North and the AFC East. I understand at Chicago, then home to Green Bay, at Philly, Miami, at Washington versus Philadelphia. Listen, we have all summer to dissect this, and you got to play in injuries and who they draft, so on and so forth. But, yeah, there's your giant schedule. Doesn't look terrible. Steelers real quick. At New England, which is a joke. Because I'd rather play New England later in the year than an opening game. And I get that the opening game, because it's a Super Bowl champion, they usually win this game. And New England usually gets off to slow starts, especially after a Super Bowl. But I just don't like this game at all. Because as you know, they don't get a ton of reps in the in the preseason. Who knows what this game's going to be like. So I don't like it from that regard. Uh, they have Seattle at home as their opener. At San Francisco, Cincinnati, Baltimore. 1 o'clock by by uh, the schedule. So no Sunday night game. At the Chargers, which is a Sunday night game. They have a bye. Miami, Indy, LA. So they have three straight home games. Followed by at Cleveland, at Cincinnati, then Cleveland again, at Arizona, Buffalo, at the Jets, and at Baltimore. So for as long as I can remember, the Steelers end their season with two road games. Which I'd have to really think back the last time that's happened. So Steelers have a very tricky schedule. And remember, they didn't win the division. Obviously, they make the playoffs. So, and they still have a very tricky schedule. They play the AFC East and also the NFC West. So, again, we got all someone to dissect this. From the looks of it, are there 9, 10 wins there? Yeah, but it's a matter of getting to 11 and 12, which remains to be seen. So there's your Steelers schedule. Uh, let me see anything other NFL news and notes before I move on. Oh, Russell Wilson, of course, now is the highest-paid player in the NFL as he re-ups with a four-year 100 and what is it, $30 million contract or $35 million? Or 140, 65 million guaranteed. So now he overtakes Aaron Rodgers as the highest paid player in the game. And uh, we'll certainly keep our eye on the draft and everything when we're back on the air next week. I was thinking about getting a draft expert on, but you know, we'll dissect it afterwards. Maybe we'll do a little, uh, we'll do a little grading on it. We'll see. So, uh, yeah, stay tuned for that. Last year, I know I had a t- couple of guys, the Jet guy and the Giant, both from uh, Gangrene Nation and Big Blue View on because they were 2-3. and three. This year's 3-6. and six. Of course, it's still going to be fascinating, but at the same time, I figured, ah, you know, 3-6, and six, anything can happen. And because of the disparity in picks, and that's a world of difference when you're picking 3-6, and six, even though, hey, it's only three picks, J-Reels, but hey, 
It only takes one team to upset the apple cart as far as the draft is concerned via trade or whatever. So uh, unlike last year where they had two and three, which I thought was just fascinating, uh, this year I just kind of laid back with the uh, bringing on a guest for the draft. Now quickly with the baseball, Yankees, what could you say about them? They just, they're dropping like flies. And all their key players, now Aaron Judge with an oblique, he says it's not as bad as it was in 16. He's on the 10-day IL, but it's probably going to be a little bit longer than that. And that goes for Giancarlo, Sanchez, Severino, Betances. I mean, it's an all-star of players that are out of this lineup. But the one thing is, if you're the Yankees, and I said this last week and I'll say it again, now losing judges, losing all these players that they've had, they're all key players, all-star players, they're huge, but none bigger than judge. But the thing was with the Yankees is that they're starting to creep back a little bit. Red Sox swept the Rays over the weekend, so they picked up three games, so they're two and a half back of the Rays right now. And despite the fact that they're going on a, what is it, a nine-game West Coast trip to the Anaheim Angels, then up to San Francisco, and then two in Arizona next week, all the Yankees have to do is just continue to tread water, and they're going to be fine. Because at some point, these guys are going to be healed up, they're going to be back in the lineup, and they're going to wreak havoc throughout the AL East. That's all there is to it. And you'd rather have these problems now than in August and September. So nobody's going to feel sorry for the Yankees. I certainly don't. But at the same time, as much as you can look at their 11-10 and 10 record and that they were able to put it together on this homestand, especially after losing two or three last week into the White Sox, winning five of the last six, they're going to feel good going on this West Coast trip. The a, uh, the Angels, who have not played well, 9-13. and 13. I know Trout's been out of the lineup. As a matter of fact, I don't even know if he's back in the lineup, so that's my bad. But even if he's not in the lineup, that's certainly going to bode well for the Yankees because, as we all know, he is the Anaheim Angels. And then they go up to San Francisco, which they've certainly had a bad start to their year. So the Yankees are going to be fine, and I certainly wouldn't worry about them one bit. Now, any other news and notes for the Yankees that I could pick on? Clint Frazier, what could you say? He's probably going to have to stay on this team. Now, I understand whether Stanton comes back or Judge comes back, or when they both come back, what are they going to do? Now, Garner's probably, who, do you put Clint Frazier in center? Is he going to be a DH? Who knows? The chances are that may be the case. The guy's hitting over 340. He's hit six home runs, as bad as lightning quick. And he's proven that he belongs. So that's a problem that's a, actually a good problem for the Yankees to have right now. The opposite side is Luke Voigt. And I hey, listen, I got nothing against the guy, but everybody was on that Luke Voigt bandwagon last year. And I think he was more of a product of the lineup than he was uh, being that type of slugging player. Now, right, does he have pop? Does he, is he a guy that could certainly have his moments? Absolutely. But they made him out to be better than what he was, despite the fact that he came over from St. Louis in that trade and he hit whatever, 333, and he hit 12 home runs and whatever it was, 100 at-bats. But still, I've I never been a big Voight guy, if you ask me. And like I said, he'll have his stretches, but is he a guy that you're going to certainly rely and think that he's going to deliver the mail game in, game out? Uh-uh, absolutely not. So interesting dynamic there with Clint Fraser to see what's going to happen there. Also, what could you say about James Paxton? Two starts here in 14 innings. He struck out 24. Tough game yesterday. He shouldn't have lost that game. They had a 5 nothing lead in the eighth inning, and the bullpen gave it right back, especially Adovino, who gave up the two home runs, but they were able to salvage that game, and that was a big win for the Yankees. Not only to win three out of four, you didn't want to go on the road with a bad, t- with a bad loss like that after winning four out of five on that homestand, including beating the Red Sox to those two starts, and Paxton was certainly a big part of that uh, first game where they won 8 nothing, So now that you have 
the Yankees on the road, and with Paxton probably starting to get into form, that's certainly what the Yankees need considering what their starting pitching has done. Also look at CC; He's done well in his two starts that he's uh, been back from the DL. So like I said, Yankees are going to be fine. I, I certainly have no worries about them. Also, Domingo Herman has pitched well. Got to give it up. I think uh, the one start he did not pitch well in was the game. Did he pitch that game? Thursday, where uh, off the top of my head, I'm trying to think. Yeah, he may have pitched that game Thursday where they lost 6-1 to to the Royals. But prior to that, I mean, he's been fine. So, Gio Gonzalez, I know who was in the minor leagues. I believe he got released. So, Yankees was certainly not going to have to worry about having to bring him up. Let's see where he goes on his baseball journey. And as far as the Mets are concerned, the one thing that bothers me about this team, and I never thought it would be an issue, is the pitching. Now, I said last week the bullpen has been an abomination, and it has minus Diaz. I know Gaselman gave you three good innings yesterday, which hopefully he could start to get some momentum on his side. But the starting pitching has been awful. I mean, Noah Syndergaard, can you... And he got a gift home run in that game thanks to Dexter Fowler. But please, can you give me a little bit better than what you gave me yesterday? Five innings, 90-something pitches. The game in Philadelphia, I understand the weather was terrible. It was windy the Monday night. He couldn't. He barely made it through five innings. Steven Matz, who... Let's get some redemption tonight, Mr. Matz. Last week in Philadelphia, first inning... Eight runs without recording an out. So for that game, he had an ERA of infinity. So he certainly has some, not necessarily explaining to do, but he certainly has to bounce back in a big way here. And hopefully he could do that tonight against the Phillies who come to town and the Mets have a long home stand of their own considering that they've played 16 of their first 21 games on the road. So hopefully they can get some home cooking, which they rarely get at City Field. So Stephen Matz, can you give us seven innings of... Three runs, six hit ball, please. And then hopefully Familia, who's a tightrope at, at all costs. And then give it to Diaz and we can get a tidy win to start off this homestand. That'd be nice. But the pitching, who's given up the second most runs in baseball. Only the Orioles are giving up the most runs. And DeGrom, do I even need to go into that? DeGrom has his elbow issue. Was supposed to be flown to New York for an MRI. Was long tossing at 120 feet, says that he's okay, and he's just going to miss a start. Don't you think you should still take the MRI? If you're the Mets, no, 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 no. We just gave you $137.5 million. Let's just make sure that everything is structurally sound, and we can move on, take a, God willing, a big sigh of relief, and that's it? No. I understand the ground knows his body. I get that. But remember what happened with Noah Syndergaard a couple years ago, that he didn't want to take the x-ray for the, for the lat, and then he was out for four months. Don't you think the Mets should proceed on the side of caution here and just have him take the MRI? He's going to miss a start as it is. So guess what? Just get it done. Make sure everything is fine. And that's it. No. They're just going to base it on his long toss of 120 feet. And then everything is fine. And away we go. And God forbid in his next start, he goes out there and he throws seven innings. And that's the end of him. But they're the Mets. That's, you know. What can I tell you? But the Mets have just been, I mean, other than Alonzo, who's just been phenomenal, I mean, what could you say? He's just, he's been more than what you could have ever, ever expected, which doesn't bode well for Dom Smith because I know that was supposed to be a platoon. Now, Todd Frazier's supposed to come back tonight, so that's going to be interesting. You may see Dom Smith go down to the minors if that's the case because they say that Frazier should be back maybe as early as today 
or at some point in this homestand. So who knows? You may see Dom Smith go. And the Mets, they have to be better as far as their starting pitching. It certainly has to improve. Their bullpen, I don't know how they're going to piece this sucker together because we're only into April and their bullpen is one of the worst in baseball. Their offense has been fine, but you know they're going to cool off. Conforto's hitting 300. I know Cano got hit in the wrist yesterday, and he's starting to at least hit again. He's above the Mendoza line, so you only hope that he continues to increase his batting average. But the pitching certainly has to get get it together, especially the starting pitching. And with the Grom going to be out another week, you know, Vargas, I, he gave you four innings the other day, one run, three hits, but, I mean, Vargas is Vargas. He's not going to give you much. It would be nice maybe if the Mets can inquire about Gio Gonzalez. Why not? Because they have no starting pitching depth at all. He's a perfect guy to bring in here considering what he does at City Field. So hopefully Brody Van Wagenen's on the phone making a call to try to see if they could uh, procure his services for 2019. How about that? So, I mean, that's what you have there with the Mets. In their homestand, they have Philly, which is going to be tough. Milwaukee, who has played well, especially Yelich. He's anything. He's killed the Cardinals this year. He's hit eight home runs against them. I think he has 11 this year. And then they play the Reds for four games next week. So can they get back? Hopefully they could have a nice, comfortable homestand. Could we go 7-3? and three? I'd like 7-3. and three. I mean, geez. Six and four. That's going to have a winning homestand. I don't want five and five. Certainly don't want anything less than that. But uh, can we at least get a winning homestand? I'll settle for that. Which isn't going to be much because it's only going to put you two games above 500. So so that's it with the baseball. Uh, I'm not going to really go throughout the league. I know I've talked a lot here. I always try to get my podcast in under an hour. But when you have so much to talk, talk about here between the playoffs, the draft, everything. Uh, baseball, let me see. Eh. Baseball is pretty much where it is. Like The Rays have cooled off a little bit. Twins have played pretty well as they're atop of the Central. Seattle's cooled off a bit. Pirates are in first place. Cubs have actually heated up. Remember, Cubs started 2-7. and seven, They're now 500. And uh, Dodgers right now looking strong. So, uh, you know, that's what you got early on. And we got plenty of time to talk baseball, people. Obviously, when we get past the postseasons of both the NHL and NBA, we'll have all summer to delve into the Major League Baseball and everything that surrounds it. So, uh, that'll be it for this week's version. I hope you enjoyed that. Again, people, thank you so much for downloading and listening to this content. Again, I cannot say enough how much it's important that your participation in this whole podcast universe is for a guy who's independently producing, hosting, editing this podcast. And the way you can contribute to that is if you subscribe, whether it's on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, please go ahead, subscribe. And when you do that, the second that the podcast is up online, it'll go right to your phone, tablet, device, whatever it may be. Of course, you go to the website at jreels.com and you'll get all the information there. I'm actually, I know for weeks on end, I've been tweaking things here and there, but there's going to be some upgrades in the weeks to come. I'm going to put a Patreon account there for those who want to contribute to the program, uh, which I'll get into in the weeks to come. But uh, please, if you go to any of those podcast platforms or whichever one that you go to, when you subscribe, also, please leave a review, post a rating. It's going to increase the visibility for all the other podcasts in the sports universe, which there are plenty of. But not only that, it will also uh, hopefully make the podcast a lot more popular. Believe it or not, in certain parts of the country or certain parts of the world, I should say it's popular. But I'm trying to get here U.S., everybody. So 
If you could do your part and do so, I would uh, greatly appreciate that. Also, if you have any questions, comments, pr- criticism, praise about me, the program, whatever it may be, you could uh, follow me on any of my social media accounts, J Reels on Instagram, J Reels one just a number on Twitter, the J Reels podcast on my Facebook account, Facebook page, and also the J Reels podcast at gmail.com is the email address. You could send that to, again, feel free to do so if need be. I'll be back. Next week with another podcast, talking more NBA, NHL, recap the NFL draft, whatever it may be as far as uh, baseball is concerned. I know St. John's hired a new coach, but I'll get into that some other time. Uh, from Arkansas, a one Mike Anderson, which uh, hasn't been too popular, but then again, uh, St. John's can't seem to get out of their own way when it comes to what's going on out there in Queens. But uh, with that said, everybody, I appreciate you all. Appreciate everybody. Appreciate the participation, downloading, etc. It goes without saying how much I enjoy delivering the sports universe to you each and every week, whether it's on the diamond, the ice, the gridiron, the hardwood, golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are, the j Rose podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the j Rose podcast, on the flip, baby.